Well, good morning. It's a thrill and a privilege to be back at First Baptist of Wausau, Oklahoma. Um, it's, uh, it's always fun to get to hang out with old friends. Um, I've known Chad Balthrop now since 1988. I was his youth pastor. I think I mentioned that last time. Uh, Chris Wall hung out in our youth group, so I've got all kinds of stories on those two guys. We can talk more about that in the break in between services, but um, it's, always a, it's always fun to get to be back and hang out with you guys. Uh, I was uh, 14 years ago. I went on my first mission trip to the United Kingdom. I was youth pastor at Champion Forest Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. Uh, that was 2005, and uh, it, it altered the course and direction of our lives as a family and, and of our own personal ministry. Um, on that first trip, uh, I wrote in my journal, my wife wasn't with me, uh, but I was uh, you know, hanging out with a, a group of guys and and sharing Christ and, and speaking in schools, which is what we get to do. In England, um, it's this really weird paradox. Uh, it's actually less than 3% now profess faith in Christ um, in, in the United Kingdom. It's really hard for us in America to wrap our minds around that because we get our spiritual heritage from England and really all of Europe. And uh, honestly, Europe, the continent is worse now. Uh, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, Sweden, all of those are under 1%. An unreached people group is 2%. And so all, <clears throat> all of the continent of Europe is an unreached people group now. I actually believe... The continent of Europe is now the new dark continent spiritually. It's very, very challenging, very, very dry. But in England, there's this paradox. You get, you get this post-Christian secular culture. The post-modernity is, is the way they live and breathe and do life. But yet in, in school, every public school has mandatory religious education. So we get to go in and do assemblies and talk about Jesus. And, and so as a youth pastor in America, I couldn't go on school campuses because of separation of church and state. But I can do that in England as a youth pastor I can, or as a minister. I can go in and, and our team gets to go in and hang out and talk to kids and share Jesus. But yet nine out of ten of those students in that room don't know Christ. So it's just this weird moment. Well, that really intrigued me. And in my journal on that first trip, I wrote, God, is this a place that we'll do significant time and life and ministry? Um, and I came home and we began to process what that would look like. Um, and, you know, I have four kids. Uh, my oldest is 30 and my youngest is 20. Um, I've got boy, girl, girl, boy. And at the time, our kids were going into to the university. And, you know, it just didn't feel like, you know, in my mind, I couldn't wrap my mind around what it would look like to resign my job at an amazing church and launch a ministry and move to England and become a missionary and start raising support and all those challenges. And if I'm honest, it took me five years to get over myself, the fact that, um, you know, I was, the, I was the breadwinner. I was the leader of my family. I was the, the guy that was, you know, drawing a paycheck and, and, you know, feeding my family. All knowing, even as a minister, that God is our blessed controller of everything. And he's our provider. But I just still had to get over my, myself. So finally in 2010, uh, we made a decision as a family that we were going to resign our church and uh, hop the pond, as you would say. And so on January 2nd, 2011... Uh, we launched UKUSA Ministries, which is the ministry that you partner with in the UK, and uh, we moved not long after that. So we've lived there eight years. We've just started our ninth year leading UKUSA Ministries, and it has been uh, the greatest journey of faith. It was a holy interruption that God created in our lives that altered not only where we live and do life and the people we hang out with and our family that we love so dearly, but God interrupted that and moved us uh, to give our lives away on the mission field in, in Europe. And so um, that's, that's what we've been doing. It's been an incredible journey of faith and mission uh, for our family. 
and for our partners in ministry like you guys here at First Baptist Owasso. Um, so let me just give you a snapshot of what we do, and then we're going to jump into a passage of Scripture that um, is near and dear to my heart. It was one of the first uh, passages we prayed over the northeast of England where we live, and I'm just going to unpack that for us as a family uh, this morning. Um, but I'm going to just give you a snapshot of what we do. So um, as, as, as UKUSA Ministries, we invite 18 to 25-year-old students and anybody else, if you want to come, to, to move over and, and live in England and do life in the northeast of England. In, in England, when, where we live, 600,000 people in our area, there were two youth ministers or two youth pastors that were employed by churches when we moved there, uh, you know, seven, eight years ago now, um, out of 600,000. And you, I've already told you the statistics, you know, basically nine out of ten people, that we, you know, 100 people I meet on the street, 99 of them don't know Jesus. And so... Um, you know, that's a real challenge when, you're, when, when the church is dying and churches are closing and that's what's happening. And um, uh, the Methodist church, you know, is going to be extinct in England in 20 years. Now, John Wesley would never believe that. But in reality, if God doesn't do something in the next, you know, several years, the, the, the church of England is going to close its doors. And the, I mean, the Methodist church. Um, and so we took on the challenge to say, God, will you begin to raise up a generation of people in America that would come and kind of maybe put school on hold or when they graduate from university or maybe kind of like us, wholly interrupted, our whole lives are changed and we move overseas and begin this ministry. And so that's what we started doing. And so uh, Keith mentioned we have 30 American students that live in the northeast of England or are working in local churches and the church is under-resourced, but our team is acting as youth ministers and kids ministers and serving the local church there and helping us reach into a new generation. One of the things we began to do was pray, God, would you give us people that love you, that are strong in their faith, that will give their lives away, be the hands and feet of Jesus, and begin to invest in the community so that we could see a new generation rise up? And so that's what God's been doing. And so as a, as a part of our lives, we pray every day at 10.02, the Luke 10.2 prayer, which is the disciples, uh, Jesus told the disciples, um, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth labors into his harvest field because the harvest is ripe. It's ready. So in about one minute, my watch and my phone is going to go off, and I'm going to pray for laborers to come forth from, from this church and from this area and from this nation to serve the Lord in Europe. But this is one way you can partner with us as a church and as an individual and as a family. If I, and I brought my phone. I don't normally preach with my phone, but I brought it up here because I want you to take your phones out. Most preachers don't like you to text and stuff during, during the service, but I want you to pull out your phone and I want you to put in there a reminder to pray every day at 10.02 in the morning. You can do it in America twice. In England, it's, only, it's a 24-hour clock, right? So it's 22.02. It doesn't quite work. It's a different passage. But anyway, Luke 10.2 uh, is our, it's the laborer's prayer. It's the harvest prayer. And I want you to put that in. And every time your watch goes off or every time your phone goes off, wherever you are, I stop and pray. And I knew it was going to happen in the middle of this message, so I just thought I'd make it an infomercial, okay? A way that you could partner with us to pray with us that God would raise up people to reach the nations. Now, our patch, our heartbeat is Europe. But honestly, we pray God send them wherever you where you want them. Call out the called God, wherever you would have them go, and raise up a generation in America that will give their lives away on the mission field and take the gospel to the nations. So I want you to do that. Just drop it in, and then it'll be a really cool thing. There it goes. Um, that you and I can do together right here from Oklahoma that you would become a part of the army of people that are praying 
that God would raise up a generation of missionaries. All right, so let's do that. God, thank you so much for Luke 10.2 and how it's changed our lives. And God, we believe this is a prayer you told your disciples. It says it right there in Scripture that we should pray that you would raise up laborers for your harvest field. And God, we recognize that the nations need Jesus. God, we recognize that this town needs Jesus. And God, we recognize that mission is wherever our feet fall today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would raise up laborers in the harvest field, both on this soil and across oceans. God, would you raise up people in this room to join us in this prayer? And God, would you raise up people in this room to be the answer to this prayer? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much. I want you to open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 37. It's a familiar passage if you've grown up in Bible school or grew up going to church. Um, it's, it's the valley of the dry bones. Now, where we live is an incredibly beautiful place, and it's anything but dry. Now, last summer, we had eight weeks of no measurable rain in England, which is really, really unusual. So it did become a bit of a, a dry valley. But normally, it's rich and green and vibrant. But where we live, though, is a very spiritually challenging place. And God began to birth this passage in our hearts to pray this over the valley. And um, there's some, some points in this passage of Scripture that I want to speak into you and over you as followers today to challenge you um, and hopefully, you know, encourage you in your spirit. So I want to read this passage of Scripture, the, verse, the ten verses. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, and he set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Now, we've already alluded to the fact that England and Europe has become a very, very dark and dry place. I live in the Tees Valley, and so that's why this passage is so real to us and so a part of our lives. And God comes to Ezekiel, and he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you alone know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and it will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 7 says, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath came into them. And they lived, lived and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So there's Five or six or ten things I want to lay before you today, okay? It's all, don't worry, I'm on the clock, and we're not going to go through ten maybe. But um, the reality is there's four or five or six things I really want to share with you today. Um, the first one is back in verse 1. We're just going to walk verse by verse through this passage. The first thing I want you to catch this morning, and honestly, church, I know that anytime we gather, there are people in the room that don't know Jesus and people that are you know, struggling in their faith and people that are 
you know, have been, you know, followers of Christ for, you know, weeks and weeks and years and years and, and decades, right? So in this room, I know we're all over the map spiritually, okay? Now, in this room in England, I would know my crowd a lot better, okay? Because nine out of ten wouldn't know Jesus. So honestly, church, I'm preaching to people that know Jesus this morning, okay? So if you don't know him yet, hang with me because I believe it's the most exciting life you can ever live, knowing Jesus, Right, And what we're about to unpack here should flip your switch and get you fired up to want to get in the game with God. All right, But I'm preaching to the church this morning. I'm preaching to people that name the name of Jesus. All right, So the first thing I want you to recognize is that God's hand is upon you. Not just Ezekiel thousands of years ago. Not just Chris, an amazing pastor, an anointed leader. But God's hand is upon you a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to recognize that you are God's plan A and there is no plan B. I want you to recognize that, that God's hand is upon you. God's has almost always, almost always when you roll back in time and roll back in scripture, God has almost always used people to be his instruments to initiate change and bring about a movement. That's how God does it. Now, there have been moments in history when he, he uses uh, inanimate objects. There have been moments when he uses an animal, like Balaam's donkey. I mean, there's all kinds, and we won't go into what that looks like for you and me, but we, we listen, all of us are God's instrument for his glory to advance the gospel and bring about transformation. Our our job, if you will, as followers of Jesus is to initiate the kingdom of God wherever our foot falls. Where is plan A? Now that either fires you up and gets you so excited that God wants to use you or it terrifies you. And I recognize that, all right? It either flips your switch and you're like, man, I cannot wait to see. And you, you're like me. I wake up. I'm a little bit like, you know, ADDHD, I'm a great, I was a great youth pastor, okay? I, I would wake up, I'm kidding. I'm, well, I, I might have been an okay youth pastor. But I, I, would, I wake up and I am fired up about the day. I don't, even, I, don't, I don't even drink coffee, okay? I've never had a cup of coffee. I just love the idea that God wants to use me today, okay? And that, that flips my switch. When I wake up, it makes me really, really fired up that I get one more day to breathe and do life and, and, and hang out with people and talk about Jesus, right? Now, some of us are not wired like that. Some of us are like, we're a little bit nervous about stepping into, you know, or even talking to people. I, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I don't know what you are, but that's like a Chia pet. That, you know, this week, I lost my voice. Can you believe I, I actually have a voice? This week, I was in Liberty, speaking at Liberty University, and I could not talk Wednesday morning. Couldn't say a word. And I had to, I'm lecturing in classes, and I'm like, God, I have to speak. Now, listen, for a seven on the Enneagram, if, if, you, can't, if you can't speak to somebody, it's, the, it's like your worst day, all right? And so that, some, some, some people, man, it gets them excited about what, you know, the opportunity. But I want you to recognize this morning that God's hand is upon you. God's calling you and me. He's inviting us to partner with him in what he wants to do globally, what he wants to do locally right here in Owasso, and to the nations. And that's really, really exciting. The second thing I want you to recognize is also in verse 1. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. And, and the second thing I want you to recognize is that he leads us 
by his spirit. Right? Now, um, I've been a Baptist minister for, you know, 37 years now. And um, we get a little twitchy when we start talking about the Holy Spirit. All right? But I want you to know, I want you to recognize that the Spirit of God is resting upon you as a follower of Jesus. And as you, as you, you know, Chris mentioned it a minute ago, that Jesus Christ invaded his life, the, the gentleman he was baptizing, when he, when he gave his life to Jesus. And the Spirit of God fills you and, and leads you and works in your heart. And God's vision and mission is uniquely personal to you. And the scripture says he leads us by his spirit. Now, God called me and my family to move to England. I'm, I understand that that's not everybody's call in their life. It's uniquely personal to you. God wants to work in your heart. His vision and mission for you is uniquely uh, personal. A couple of things about that real quick. First one is that it's based on the need of the moment. It's based on the need of the moment. How's God leading you? Where's God turning your family? How's God weaving your life? It's based on the need of the moment. And I would say it's based on his need of the moment and your need in the moment. Where does God need you? Well, it's all about us leaning into God and listening to the Holy Spirit, him speaking to us. And it's based on the need of the moment. For us, we saw this incredible need that God needed our family to move across the ocean. Your, your need and where you are might be right here where you are. Might be right here in this patch, this place. What's the need of the moment for you? It's very personal. Um, it's based on the need. It's born in prayer. You and I must be actively pursuing Jesus. You want to know God's will? Listen, it was the number one question asked me. Keith would probably say the same. Chris would say the same. Brad, all those guys were youth pastors. Now, that's why your church is so great, by the way. Um, it's, it's exciting to be in a church where there's this energy, right, this excitement. But listen, the number one question youth pastor is asked most often is, how do I know God's will for my life? Wouldn't you like to know God's will for your life today? Wouldn't you love to know the snapshot, the next three years, or the next five years, or the next ten years of where you're going? It's intensely personal. It's based on the need of the moment, but it's born in prayer. You and I must be actively pursuing Jesus. And it necessitates listening and recognizing the Spirit of God speaking and leading. It's hearing his voice and responding to his call. I love that. I love the idea that um, as followers of Jesus, we get to have a conversation with God every single day. It's not just a relationship. It's not just a church appointment that I have once a week or a couple of times a week. It is a relationship with God that's living and vibrant, and he speaks to me, and he speaks to you, and he, and he shows us things. I mean, when was the last time you were pumping fuel? We call it petrol in England, and it's $9 a gallon, by the way, so don't whinge about two. Anyway, so we're, you know, when was the last time you were pumping fuel into your vehicle, and God said, man, talk to that person over there about Jesus, right? And then you obeyed him. <laughs> it's, it's a conversation God wants to have with us. It necessitates listening and recognizing the Spirit of God speaking and leading, hearing his voice and responding in and in like mind to his call. And it's not this huge thing, man, I gotta do this, but it might just be this one little thing, like go have a conversation with the guy you work next to. Find out what's going on in his life. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. It requires sacrifice 
If we're going to be led by the Spirit of God, it requires the ability to say, God, would you please interrupt my life so that I can follow you and be obedient to you right now. So it it may require a sacrifice on your part to respond to God's Spirit-led movement in your life where you say, I'm willing to sacrifice whatever it is. And it's a heart that says, I'm willing to be in my life to be interrupted. Okay? And then the third or fifth or whatever number we're on there, he leads us by a spirit. It demands obedience. Now watch this. God said to Ezekiel, he said, uh, Ezekiel said, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the middle of this valley, and it was full of bones. And God began to do things in his life, and it required obedience. Now, we don't preach much on obedience, but it's the forgotten imperative in Scripture. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Obedience is an imperative in God's Scripture called on all of us as believers. When he speaks, we obey and we do what he says. All right, the third thing, he calls us out into hard things. Look at it right there in verse one. He brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and he set me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. That doesn't sound too fun to me. Doesn't sound like this mountaintop experience to me. Sometimes God calls us into really, really hard things. Most of us long to live on the mountain, don't we? Most of us want to experience these great moments of vision and excitement. But if we're honest, most of the time that God uses us in the deepest ways is in the valley where there's brokenness or dryness or, in this case, deadness. And it's in the valley here where God chooses to use Ezekiel. I mean, you've, we, we've seen other moments in Scripture, right? I mean, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrust into this furnace. It's not pleasant, but it's a God moment. Even Daniel in his own personal life was into the lion's den. You know, not the mountaintop, not the most exciting moment. Abraham with his son, Isaac. I want you to sacrifice him. Again, this, these, are, these are God moments that are really, really hard things. But out of those hard, challenging moments, God does the powerful. Calling isn't for the sacred few super Christians. It's for all of us. The DNA of every believer, every Christ follower is the mission of God. And that calling was given to you when you met Jesus. It is not determined. It's not based on whether it's the mountaintop or the valley, great excitement or great challenges. It's based on the call of God. And he calls us into really hard things. So let's step into it. Number four, in that passage, the scripture says that that God began to speak into Ezekiel and he asks him a question. And so I, I love this right here. In in the passage, he said, uh, in verse 3, he says, And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? Now, I love the fact that God asks Ezekiel questions. I love the, you know, Jesus taught that way, didn't he? 
He asks questions all the time. When was the last time you really felt God ask you a question? I want you to go do this. Will you do this? And what's he doing? I believe God knows the answer to this question. I believe he knows that these bones can live again. So why is he asking the question? Because Ezekiel didn't know that these bones could live again. You know what God's doing? God's inviting Ezekiel into this story that he's about to write. He's inviting Ezekiel to go on a journey with him and say, I want to see God do the unexplainable. So what is he doing? He's inviting Ezekiel into faith. He's saying to Ezekiel, I want you to go on this journey with me. Faith is is like a muscle. You've probably heard that before. You know, if you, if you don't work out, you get soft. It's just the, it's the way it is phys- physiologically. Clearly, I've been soft most of my life, all right? But the reality is, if you and I don't work out and do things physically, we get soft. Faith is just like that. It's a muscle. The more you exercise it, the greater your faith becomes. It allows you to move into the realm and the, and the depths of God and a relationship with God that you would not normally go and live and dwell. And so when God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? He's about to blow Ezekiel's mind. But I love what Ezekiel does. He responds with this humble brokenness, almost prayer. Oh Lord God, you alone know the answer. And so uh, I want to ask you uh, this question today. What are you trusting God for today? That's what faith is. Faith is placing your trust in Jesus Christ. Now listen, I know salvation is is this moment in time where you give your life to Jesus, you become a follower of him, and you are a a Christian, a, a follower of Jesus, and you've placed your faith in Jesus. But the challenge for us as believers in this room is to go on a journey of faith with God where we begin to ask him to do hard things through us. We ask him to take us on a journey where everywhere we go is an opportunity for the glory of God to be seen through our lives. And so he's calling Ezekiel into faith. Um, my, My daughter, Hannah, uh, she's a bit of a nomad, okay? Now, she's 24. She's in Cyprus today, uh, and she's a photojournalist. Um, but when she was 15 years old, um, we were Skyping with guys in England. This was two, in the fall of 2009. And, um, and she said, uh, you know, we were talking to guys, and I hung up the phone. Uh, it was a computer, and just said, you know, how can I pray for you? And he said, we need young people that love Jesus, that will give their life away and, and come over here and talk about Jesus. And, um, and so we hung up the phone, and my 15-year-old said, Dad, I want to go to England, right? I'm like, okay, he's not talking about you. You're 15. He's talking about college students. He's talking about kids, you know, out of college. And, um, and, and literally, it was about the time Taken had come out. And I was like, you're not going to England, okay? And so, and so, um, so we had this argument, you know, we had this wrestling match for September, October, November, and December. She drops the God card on the preacher. She says, Dad, I believe God wants me to move to England. Taken two hadn't come out yet, but, you know, it was, it was still one of those things. I'm like, Hannah, listen, I don't want to stand in the way of what you think God's calling you to do. So tell me, what's he saying? She began 
She began to talk to me about what the Lord was doing in her life and began to show me in her journal and her prayer and all those things. She began to show me how God was speaking. And I said, a bit crazy, far be it from me to stand in the way of what you think God's calling you to do. I'll call England and see if it's possible. So I took my daughter to England at the end of January 2010, and I left her with um, a couple that I'd never met at a train station. And, I mean, we were working with Youth for Christ, and so I knew people, but I didn't know this particular couple. And I got on a train and went back to London and flew home. I left my 15-year-old daughter in England. It's not probably the best parenting skills on the planet, all right? But the reality is I don't want to stand in the way of what God is calling my daughter to do, right? It's about faith, isn't it? Faith is the prelude to the unexplainable. When you and I, watch this. When, when you and I say, I'm going to trust you, God, all right? When I say, I'm going to follow you in faith, God begins to do stuff through us. And all of a sudden, when we cross the threshold of the door of opportunity, whatever that is for you, maybe it's someone at work and you're diving into this marketplace ministry that your church is launching, and all of a sudden God begins to prompt you by the Spirit of God. By faith, I want you to minister to this person. I want you to step into a relationship with this person, and you step over the threshold of that door of opportunity. I believe the door of opportunity swings on the smallest hinges of obedience. And God is calling you and me to faith, and you step over that threshold and the door opens up and God begins to use you right so how does that work humility prayer and obedience lead to the unexplainable so when when Ezekiel responded oh Lord God you alone know you alone know God said so he basically he basically said here's your job prophesy as I commanded speak this over these people. Again, we get a bit twitchy when we hear the word prophecy. Prophecy is a declaration of truth. So you're declaring the truth of who God is in your marketplace where you do life. You're declaring the truth of who Jesus is. And so, so he steps into this relationship, humility, prayer. He cries out to God, oh Lord, oh Lord, oh Lord God, only you know if this can happen. And so as he prayed that and then he acted in obedience Listen to what happened. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And so as Ezekiel acted in obedience, God began to move. Church, that's what we're called. We're called to live by faith. And to listen to the Spirit of God. And as he leads us, we respond. And as we respond in obedience, God begins to open doors. And we, we step across that threshold. God begins to swing those open and God begins to move. And it's powerful. The Holy Spirit of God brings life and life change. That's the last thing I want you to look at this morning with me. In that passage... Ezekiel did exactly what God told him to do, but something was amiss. Something hadn't happened. And, and the scripture says that um, it was the breath of God that was missing, the spirit of God. So verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come 
from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. The breath of God, this passage, the breath of God in Hebrew is the word ruach. It's the word ruach. It's the same word early in Genesis when the Spirit of God was mentioned in Genesis 1 and chapter 2. And it's the same word. You know, when God created the, 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 the heavens and the earth and God created every other being, he spoke it and the worlds came into order. But when God created you and me, when God created humanity, the, the Scripture says that he fashioned us out of the dirt and he leaned in and he breathed in the man's nostrils the breath of life. It's that word, ruach, the spirit of God. Now, now that's, that's what separates us from the rest of creation, the spirit of God. And that's what separates you as a follower of Jesus. You have the spirit of God. And you and I should be about his business, proclaiming him to the nations and talking about the Spirit of God coming into the lives of people that are dead or dying and separated from God for eternity and they are dry and broken. And you and I live, we're called to live in this moment, in this place and bring life and speak life to the people that we encounter moment by moment, day by day, wherever God takes us. Last night, um, we got in last night. We, like I said, we'd been at Liberty, hanging out all week, casting vision, trying to get young leaders to join us in, in Europe and, and help us reach the nations for the gospel. Our patch, where God's called us. And we went to dinner and had a great dinner. And uh, Keith showed up. He was at a wedding. And he, he, uh, we joked because he was all suited and booted, you know. And so we just called him our driver, you know, like a limo driver. Anyway, so uh, we went and looked at the mission last night. Wow. What an incredible place. What an incredible opportunity that you've been given as a church to, to minister and love the community um, and just love people that are struggling, love people that are in the valley, love people that are, that are hurting. And what an opportunity. Church, listen, it's your opportunity to wrap your arms and speak life into the people that you're encountering moment by moment. I just want to give you four quick takeaways. And, and recognize this is about you. And this is about now. This is not about Ezekiel and thousands of years ago. This is about right here, right now. And here they are. God intends to use you. That's the first takeaway. God intends to use me. He wants to use me. He wants to use you. There is no plan B. You're it. What an opportunity for you as a, a follower of Jesus to recognize that right here, right now, I can be God's hands and feet. I can be his mouthpiece. I can be the hope uh, that people need to see. I can speak life into my friends at school or my colleagues at work. I can share Jesus with the family members that don't know Christ in my life. You've got this uh, marketplace ministry that, that your church is embracing. Man, begin to think differently about your mission field. What does it look like? Maybe you work for Philip 66, or maybe you're a school teacher, or, or maybe you're a, a local physician, or, or, or maybe you're a, a stay-at-home mom. Look differently at your world. 
It's your marketplace. It's your opportunity to invest in the people around you. Recognize that God intends to use me. Say that. God intends to use me. The second thing is that the Holy Spirit fills you. You know, the scripture says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, Ephesians 5.18. And that, the, the tense in that verse is that we are to continually be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Meaning that today, when you roll out of bed, your first response as a follower of Jesus should have been, God, today I surrender. And would you fill my life, fill me with the Spirit of God, so that everywhere I go today, I can be your mouthpiece. Every step I take, I take today can be led by your spirit. That's pretty exciting life. When the spirit of God begins to prompt you and lead you and you begin to respond to him in obedience, that's the most exciting life on the planet. Why? Because the dunamis, the power of God resides within you. There's no, there's no greater power. And you and I have a chance just a window of opportunity as we draw breath on this life in this earth to be God's instrument to reach people. The Holy Spirit fills me. Let him fill you up. Conf listen, there's a million things that I'd love to talk about right now, but the clock is ticking. But man, part of that is I gotta confess my sin. I gotta be right with God. I gotta be humble. I gotta cry out to him. God, remove this, you know, as you and I do life with Jesus, man, God should be speaking to you moment by moment. Man, that attitude, that, that thought, man, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Man, God should be speaking to you moment by moment. Respond to the Holy Spirit. God intends to use me. The Holy Spirit fills me. I owe the gospel to others. That's the third takeaway. I owe the gospel to others. It's not just for you. It's not just for this room. It's for the whole, the whole world, and it's for your world. And every step you take, who's your one? Who is it? Your church is, is asking you to pray about one. Who's your one? You owe the gospel to others. Who is it? Listen, I, I would love for you to maybe even this moment, as God begins to speak to you, you respond and say, God, I hear, the, I hear that name. I know who that one is for me. And God, I'm gonna commit my life as long as I'm living to begin to press Jesus into this person's life. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring you up, God, when we have a chance to talk about you. I'm gonna respond. I'm gonna serve them. You know, the scripture says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and gave his life as a ransom for many. You know how we're gonna reach this generation of soon-to-be post-Christian Americans? is to serve them. They don't care about your church. People that are lost and outside the walls of this church, this post-Christian culture that's invading America, the secular divide that's taking over our nation, you know what they don't care about? They don't care about this building. They don't care about this church. So how are we gonna reach them? We gotta serve them. We gotta roll up our sleeves. We gotta serve this community. Who's your one? Who is it today? Let God press that into your heart. I owe the gospel to others. And then the last takeaway this morning. It's my favorite one. Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. 
There's nothing that this world has to offer you that can match that. Jesus is worth it. You know where we get the word worthy from worth? He's worth it. He's worthy of my life. He's worthy of every thought. He's worthy of every breath. He's worthy of every step. He's worthy of every conversation. And listen, there's nothing this world has to offer that can match the majesty and grandeur of who Jesus is. He is worth it. Can't take anything with us. There's nothing on this planet that's worth it. Um, I'm not standing up here as a, I'm not a pauper. I don't have a house. I live in two, two continents, you know. We rent a little apartment in England. When we're here, we live at my grandmother's, my mother's house. We call her grammar. I'm the 56-year-old guy that goes and preaches all over America and goes home to his mom's house and does laundry. Who does that? We do. We did that Friday night. We got in about midnight. We did a laundry, and we got in the car, and we drove here. I'm not saying I'm this super missionary Christian guy, but I want you to know something. We've decided at 56 that there's nothing on this planet that's worth it. He's worth your life. I don't believe in retirement, if I'm honest. Some of you that are 60 and 70 years old, and you're just got playing golf and hanging out, I'm, I'm not trying to get up in your grill today, but you know what you need to do? You need to go on mission trips. You need to give your life away. You've got so much to offer the nations. You've got such a chance. You're, if you're healthy and your heart's beaten, listen, pop it in gear. And let's make the world know that he's worthy of your life. He's worth it. Man, could God use, could God use this room to change this town 100%, I believe he could do it. Could God use this room to change this state? 100%, I believe he can do it. Could God use, could there be a spark that happens in Owasso that burns across the nation and slams the door shut on post-Christian culture that's arriving at the station and says, embrace Jesus, he's worth it. 100%, I believe he could do that. You gotta respond though, like Ezekiel. God's calling you into something. God's leading you to someone. God's asking you for more. And Ezekiel stepped over the threshold and did the craziest thing you and I could ever picture. Dead bones coming together, skin, sinew, skin, the breath of God, and an army rises up. Hollywood can't wrap their minds around that. You and I can't wrap our minds around that. But Ezekiel had to respond in faith.